0: Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Content Rookie. It's been a while. I am currently feeding my six weeks old daughter. So excuse the burping and gulping sounds in the background. But I figured if I don't start now, I'm never gonna start because she's always gonna need something. So um, thank you so much for everyone that has been sending me very kind messages while I've been on hiatus. Um, I really appreciate them. I also really appreciate all of you still sharing the podcast uh, and promoting it. That's great. I have a long list of episodes I want to record and guests that I want to have on those episodes. So stay tuned for that. Um, Today's episode is just going to be me because there is a topic that I wanted to make a new episode about for a while. Uh, There already is an episode about this from basically, I think, one and a half years ago, where I gave a very, you know, general introduction. But I feel like things have really evolved when it comes to this. And so I wanted to talk a little bit more about this. So definitely see this as kind of a part two of that episode from the beginning. So the thing I want to talk about today is tone and voice. So I know this is especially new UX writers' favorite topic because many of us think it's a very fun thing to work on and a great kind of um, thing to have to show presence and to, you know, lead UX writing at your company or in the project you're working on. But tone and voice creation and processes and keeping track and maintenance is very, very difficult. And that's definitely something that Uh, I've learned over the past couple of years. And that specifically stood out to me over the last year of my work. Um, Now, I've created a lot of tone and voice guidelines and I've worked with maintenance of those and I've tried implementation of those uh, in both small and very large companies. Uh, And it is very difficult, pretty much always, no exceptions. And the reason for that is that the only person that ever looks at tone and voice guidelines is probably you, and maybe, if you're lucky, the other UX writers and writers, which means that a lot of copy pops up in places that does not follow the tone and voice guidelines. And then you need to make a decision. Do you want to try to continuously educate those people that those guidelines exist? Do you just fix their copy? Do you do a combination of those? That can eat a lot of time, and it can also be frustrating. Um, And then the second thing I want to talk about a little bit more today is the fact that maybe we need to rethink how we're using tone and voice guidelines. Should they even be guidelines? Is guidelines the right format or medium? Or are there other ways we can roll out, you know, help on creating consistent copy and content throughout the company among writers, but also other people that may be creating copy? Uh, And there are some cool tools out there that more and more companies are starting to use uh, that I think can be very helpful for that. So that's a little bit of a long introduction to what I'm going to be talking about today. I know this is a little bit more high level, so it may be more interesting for those of you that have already worked with Tone and Voice in the past. But I definitely think there's also some interesting thoughts here for, you know, those of you looking to get into UX writing who maybe haven't worked with it yet. Because I think while talking about this, I'm going to touch about upon a lot of the processes that go into your day-to-day UX writing work. So yeah, stay tuned for that. Uh, I'm excited to share my thoughts. And again, disclaimer, this episode is just going to be me. So it's very biased. It's my point of view. It's my experience. Other people may have completely different thoughts on this. But I definitely felt like I have at least learned a lot in the past couple of years for me to want to share a little bit more about other things that go into tone and voice. So, thanks so much for tuning in. All right. So, to refresh everyone, what is a tone and voice? Um, essentially, tone and voice is what companies use to ensure that they have one way of writing as a brand to make it easier to recognize the brand. Um, and that's actually, I think, something that is already quite interesting because before product marketing became really, really big tone and voice usually sat within the marketing department um, and was something usually done under the umbrella of content marketing and that's actually also how i first started working with tone and voice it was much more from a branding and marketing campaign perspective than from a ux perspective but as products became bigger and bigger and apps became bigger and bigger and started having more content and copy inside of them Uh, Tone and voice also became something that product teams were dealing with and had to create to make sure that all the copy and the content they put out in their apps and their products was actually consistent, had a recognizable brand, but also made sure that the copy was usable and that everything was accessible in there. Um, So what you often see, and that's kind of the first thing I wanted to pinpoint, is that the brand slash marketing team will have a tone and voice sometimes referred to as editorial tone, editorial tone and voice. And then the product team will have a tone and voice. Um, And ideally, those two teams should kind of sync with each other to make sure that their tone and voices aren't too different from each other. But the reality is that there is not that often a great sync between the two parties. So sometimes editorial campaigns will come out and the tone and voice will be completely different from what the product team is going for. Um, And sometimes that works if the campaigns are very clearly separate from the actual product content and copy. But sometimes that can also become really confusing one thing that I've noticed specifically in bigger organizations is that oftentimes some copy will pop up somewhere that seems to be very outside of the scope of the tone and voice. uh, and then someone will pick it up and ask, Hey, who wrote this copy? Who's responsible for this copy? I would like to sync with this person or ask some questions. uh, and then it's almost impossible to identify who even wrote it, uh, wrote it in line with what did they even follow any guidelines? If so, which guidelines did they follow? So the first thing I want to point out is kind of exactly that. So if you're working in a big organization and you have a tone and voice, who is responsible for it? Who maintains it? Who is supposed to refer to it and use it in their day-to-day work? Um, is that clear? Do people know who they can reach out to? Is everyone that is writing copy and content at this company even aware that these tone and voice guidelines exist? Um, if so, how do are they made aware of it? Maybe when they first start their job, it's part of the onboarding. That can be really important or is this something they just, you know, maybe randomly stumble over one day and before that aren't aware of. So I think that's a really important question to ask because even though it sounds so obvious, oh, like very likely, this company has a tone and voice uh, and i'm gonna follow it maybe for us as writers um it's actually not always the case and not everyone is aware that tone and voice exists not everyone knows which one to follow if there are several like i said editorial product there may be a completely different one as well so it's definitely i think a big challenge to really you know clarify within one organization what is the tone and voice who follows it if there are several can and should we maybe pull them together into one source of truth or if we decide we need to keep them separate then like who is making that decision how are we making that decision how do we ensure there are separate lanes and people are informed to know which one to use when and for what they're writing um that can actually become really really complex i've seen this happen in a lot of places and it can become very confusing and a lot of the questions you'll be getting if you're working with tone and voice on a daily basis are well i've read this in one document and then in this tone and voice document it says something else like what should i do now Uh, and sometimes it can be very difficult even for someone like me who may be responsible for it to answer that question because it's just not been clarified because it can be very difficult to clarify it sometimes. So I think that's like a first really big caveat I want to point out. Um, And tone and voice can also mean different things in different organizations. In some organizations, it's very, I would say on a high level. So it talks a lot about, oh, but we want to make sure all of our copy sounds very encouraging. And it may have some examples on how encouraging copy could look like. And in other places, tone and voice can become very, very detailed and will also include things like product writing guidelines, um, things that cover punctuation, how you want to use that, uh, that talk about, you know, sentence structure, readability level, all of those things, even accessibility may be part of their tone and voice. So it's also, I think, very important to clarify what does the tone and voice cover? Um, what is in that style guide? What are the things that come into that? Um, and I think more and more companies are moving away from tone and voice kind of being the general term that sometimes covers just you know those high level, we want to be encouraging or fun uh, instructions to maybe covering all the very specific instructions into punctuation and other things to calling it style guides instead, or maybe even writing style guides, style guide. it could be product writing guidelines, all of that. Uh, and that name will usually cover, the tone, the voice, the specific writing guidance. And it can make that a little bit clearer. However, again, the thing I talked about now in the beginning where there's maybe different guidelines for different parts of the company or different teams that aren't really aligned with each other, that may still be the case. Um, And that question, who uses those types of guidelines? Like who actually pays attention to the tone and voice and takes that into account? yeah, I think that's a really good question, because I've been working with, I think, my first tone and voice guidelines I wrote yeah, a long time ago, maybe 2013, 2014. Uh, and back then, the amount of writers at the company I was working at was very, very small, so it was very easy. I ran a workshop for the entire company, customer service, sales, um, everyone to introduce them to the tone and voice. We went through a couple of exercises. We talked through examples to make really sure like this is how we want to sound and this is how we're going to achieve that. Um, And then nobody really paid attention because that's just how it is. It's maybe not their day-to-day job to write. Um, It can be very difficult to follow writing guidelines if you're not very comfortable as a writer. So that's a very important thing to take into account. And again, writing guidelines may be different depending on a certain campaign you're running where suddenly you decide to maybe be a little bit more provocative and then your tone doesn't really work that you have in general for your product. Then somebody has to make those calls, has to make those decisions and guide the people responsible for that campaign. Um, So already back then I felt like, "Mm, I mean, it's great to have this. It's great to have this documented, but that's pretty much it. It's difficult for most people to follow this. I spent a lot of my day-to-day work policing, in air quotes, the tone and voice, or like making small fixes to make sure content copy was more in line with it, Um, which is not a great way to spend your time. And so even back then, I thought, all right, like tone and voice guidelines, and maybe even writing guidelines in general, they're like a great artifact to have. And I think they're very valuable for a smaller team that is first starting out and trying to find their foot, maybe trying to find their overall content strategy. But I think in the long run and for bigger product companies, it can become very, very challenging to maintain any kind of writing guideline, specifically tone and voice, because it is quite subjective. Tone and voice can be perceived in different ways just by, you know, different age groups. Um, accessibility is unfortunately something that can come second when tone and voice guidelines are set because, you know, sometimes the tone you chose isn't very accessible. It's not easy to write accessible copy in line with that. So that can become a challenge. So. Essentially, I think it's very, very difficult to create good tone and voice guidelines to maintain them, to make sure they're updated, to make sure they're in line with all the principles you want to cover, inclusivity, accessibility, staying up to date and kind of going with trends as well. And the most difficult thing in my experience is to make sure people actually understand it. Like this is why we have it. This is how you use it. This is what it means for your actual content and copy creation and use it. That is very difficult and even if you're working with many writers on your team and they're all aware of these guidelines they will have different takes on them. Questions will still pop up where there's maybe something very clearly defined in your writing guidelines like "Mm, this is how we want to use approvations but then some kind of new feature will come out or a new campaign will come out and suddenly that will just not make sense or another big issue that can play into this is localization. You start localizing into more and more languages. Suddenly, the original tone and voice can become very, very difficult to translate. Um, and smaller things that were very obvious, maybe for you know English, and then a couple of the other localized localized languages, can suddenly become very, very complex as you add more languages to that. And then someone has to make those calls. How do we adjust the tone and voice? Um, a very fun discussion to have also is once you bring on new localization managers and maybe new translators for a new market. Uh, and you give them the original tone and voice and product writing guidelines in English, and they'll read them and they will interpret them a totally different way than you would, because culture plays such an important role. So I'm actually not a big fan of, you know, giving an English tone and voice to someone that is gonna, let's say, localize this into a Korean. It's much better to really take the time, sit down with them, workshop around, okay, this is what we were trying to get across in English. What would be an equivalent way to talk about these things in Korea. Um, And then maybe something totally different will come up and the tone and voice guidelines would look very, very different at the end of it. Uh, And I know this is a bigger time commitment. It requires a lot more capacity and effort, but it is the better, more sustainable way to work with localizing, in air quotes, your tone and voice. You can't just translate it in most cases. Um, So that's, I think, a really important thing to take into account as well. Then one more thing I definitely want to address is tone and voice formats. So when I first started working with this, it was basically Google Docs. Google Docs were the format. Um, sometimes there would be a slide deck as well to accompany something. Sometimes there would be a confluence where we would harvest the tone and voice guidelines, the product writing guidelines. However, the more and more I've worked in the field, the more and more I've worked with different companies and trying to get the consistency into their writing, I realized really nobody or most people do not want to look at a GDoc or pull open a Confluence, look at this, uh, search through it to find something that is maybe relevant to what they're currently writing or thinking about, and then try to translate that into what they're currently creating. Um, so I actually think We, as the field of content design and UX writing, we need to move away from those kind of artifacts, from the traditional tone and voice documentation, which would be a Confluence or a Google Doc or a slide deck um, or like a PDF, anything like that. I think we are moving towards AI assistance things like writer that have tone and voice guidelines and product writing guidelines integrated and you kind of have it as a plugin and it makes you suggestions while you're writing. For example, Hey, this is not how we talk about that at this company. Try to refer to it in a different way or Hey, we don't use the Oxford comma here. Try to avoid that comma, write it a different way. Hey, you're making three points. Maybe break it up in the list. So a plugin that kind of helps you as you're writing because that way, you are basically getting that guidance for how to write, and especially when it comes to tone and voice, while you're in it. So you don't have to make the effort to go look for it. You don't have to even you know, remember to think about it while you're writing, because that can be hard. If you're very busy and you're working in a very fast-paced, fast-paced environment, you may just not even have the time to breathe and think, oh, wait, I should take tone and voice into account here. Um, so it's all right there for you. Um, of course, those AI kind of assistants also have caveats. Um, It's a field that is kind of still developing, so more and more things are being added, some things, some features, some guidance may not be in those kind of tools yet, so it will take some time for you to set up that kind of tool specifically to your company needs or your team's needs, but I definitely think it can be worth it uh, and really help increase consistency especially in bigger teams, where a lot of different people write copy and write content. Um, And again, what can be very nice with those kind of tools is that you can also split it up in different teams. So, you know, the editorial or the marketing teams may have totally different guidance um, than the product teams that are maybe focusing even more on accessibility or inclusive language. Um, And it kind of can facilitate that conversation in a way as well. So I think definitely when it comes to the formats of any writing guidelines or writing guidance, we have to move more towards something that is in Figma with you, that is in whatever, wherever you're writing your copy and your content to make it easier for you to really make those calls on the spot. Um, and I personally also think that this is better for learning because you know you can scroll through some guidelines and then be like, oh, okay, I need to take this into account when I write. Um, But it's much easier for you to write something and be reminded, oh, take this into account. So the learning retention in the moment will be a little bit higher there as well. So I think that's definitely a big point to make when we're talking about tone and voice um, right now in the field. Uh, And then this is where I think this episode gets a little controversial. But if there's one thing that I would say I've seen over the last couple of years trying to make tone and voice work for bigger companies and now you know i can't name them but there's a couple that i've worked with um where i've been directly responsible for tone and voice guidance and there's one sub product of a bigger tech company where i've been responsible for tone and voice and where i kind of set that from scratch uh, i was the first content register to be brought in they didn't have anyone yet it was a new product um we went in and I essentially created all of that from scratch. This is how we want to sound was a very close collaboration also with the marketing and branding team. I created the product writing guidelines. What kind of punctuation do we use active passive, all of those things, um, for their different audience groups. Um, and it became a very, very big artifact and long document that was constantly evolving. The glossary was also an important part of that. Um, and I've been fighting, um, from day one to get people to actually pay attention to this documentation because the documentation exists and it was created in line with important stakeholders. So everyone agreed on certain things, but still people aren't aware of it. People that are aware of it, forget about it. People that are aware of it and don't forget about it, don't know where to find things, um, or they don't realize that this is something that would be part of the writing guidelines. Um, So what happens is essentially that I or the writers are the only people that are really looking in these at these guidelines and following them, then maybe fixing some of the other people's stuff um, to make sure it's not totally out of it. But what I've been seeing is that maybe it's not even necessary. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think glossaries are always important, are always necessary. We need to clarify terms. I think things like naming conventions. What do we call features? How do we name features? That is very important. And there should be a central resource for that. I think product writing guidelines like punctuation, um, active voice, passive voice, those th- things should definitely be set in line um, and made sure that everyone kind of follows the same structure. However, when it comes to tone and voice, the tr- in the traditional sense, like we want to sound very funny or we want to sound very casual or we want to sound very serious maybe, um, I think we're moving away from that. I think that the... F- products are developing too quickly campaigns are being put out too quickly for the tone and voice to realistically really hold its ground and i've actually also been on projects where i felt like the tone of voice was in the way of us maybe making a really good campaign or maybe testing out something really drastic with a certain flow to see if copying content could have an effect on for example engagement rates um so i think there is something to be said for, do we really need to manifest tone and voice at all? Um, Could we maybe keep it more general? Can we maybe, you know, put it in like a writing assistant to make sure there's some kind of reminders and guidance to help people think a certain way uh, without trying to really write out very specific examples um, somewhere that we expect people to follow and kind of draw their own conclusions from for their own writing. Um, Because I think, you know, people are different, personalities are different. And while I understand that a lot of products are really trying to go for a strong personality, I do feel like we're moving a little bit away from those hardcore, super branded um, companies that have a very specific brand, that have a very specific way of writing. Examples that come to mind are, you know, Headspace, Slack, MailChimp, Were very famous for that, having those very strong brands that also manifested in all of their copy. I think even those People, those companies are moving away from it. So I think we're kind of making a little bit of a switch to, okay, maybe we don't need to hyper-focus on tone and voice. Maybe there's other things we can focus on, like for example, inclusive language, accessible language, and then kind of do our own twists and our own kind of personality on it. Um, So it's definitely something I wanted to say and put out there because I still get a lot of messages from um, people breaking into UX writing, maybe getting their first big project or working for a small company, a small startup. Where there's no product writing guidance or tone and voice guidance at all and they're very excited to create this uh, and are asking for help like hey what resources can i use where should i start and you know while there's a lot of great resources out there and i've made episodes on on how to create tone and voice and writing guidelines um, i definitely think you should try to not you know maybe make it your first huge project maybe there's other things you can work on first to figure out how to best work with copy and content in that project or with that company. Uh, And then maybe some of that guidance will just happen organically as you go. Uh, And then maybe you don't need to spend time on creating these very elaborate guidelines at all. Because especially if you're working in a small project, maybe you're the only writer, there's not a lot of writers, you may be the only one using it or paying attention. So that's definitely something I would take into account here. Um, And then last but not least, the one thing I want to talk about when it comes to writing style guides, writing guidance, tone and voice guidelines in general, is that a big thing that I see as very challenging is how can we keep those guidelines inclusive? So when I come on a project or into a company and writing guidelines and specifically tone and voice guidelines already exist, um, it can feel very intimidating to maybe question something that's been in there. Maybe it's been in there for years. Um, But if there's one thing that I think most of us will agree on is that tone and voice, just like any kind of personal communication, just like anything we read and write on the internet is constantly undergoing changes. There's trends to the language, there's trends to the way we say things, memes, things like that play a role here. And so tone and voice guidelines from a year or two ago may be completely outdated. But then if you're a new person on a team or at a company can be very difficult for you to find a way to, you know, maybe engage with those rules and say, hey, could we change something here? Or what if I want to write something a different way? Because sometimes it can be very unclear who owns the guidelines. What I've seen often is those guidelines are created. Someone is technically somehow responsible for them, but not directly enough to really actively on a day-to-day basis pay attention and see what kind of updates and changes need to be made. That's definitely a process that I haven't seen work very well in a lot of places, even with big content design teams. Um, so I think it's definitely something to take into account here. How do you make sure that any kind of writing guidance you give is inclusive to everyone that feels like they have input on it? It doesn't even just have to be limited to writers. There may be designers. There may be devs that have some input on this. Um, so how do you make sure there is a forum for them to share that input? How do you make sure that you have the resources for someone to potentially take those decisions on, hey, we should update this part of the guidance? Um, so those things and ensuring like a smooth contribution process, I think, are very important and often totally overlooked when it comes to specifically writing guidelines. And I know that some of my design system friends will feel maybe similar about some of the things that they're trying to maintain um, and have contributors on. So really this question on who owns it, who owns these guidelines, who is responsible for them, who maintains them, who ensures dialogue with other people that maybe have something to add to them, that is very important to consider as well. So yeah, that was essentially what I had to say. I know this was a little bit more of a high-level episode, so maybe, you know, not super interesting for all of you that are looking to transition into UX writing from a different field, but I still think it's maybe interesting to kind of hear about, you know, what are some of the things some of us more senior people are, are dealing with or thinking about in the field and what are the things that at least in my in, in my case, I have the ambition to make better and to improve. So I hope you found this episode valuable. I have a bunch more episodes in the pipeline. And as soon as I get the time, I will record them. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing the podcast, for engaging with it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Maybe you don't agree at all with my take. Please let me know. Maybe you can send me a message on LinkedIn or you can tweet at me. Um, And I'd be really interested to have a discussion about this because I know this is a take that hasn't been discussed that often yet. Um, so thank you so much, everyone. And I hope you listen in again next time. Bye-bye.